Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. Welcome back to All About HR for our second episode in 2022. Super duper excited. We have some really new things going on today. We've got a revamped HR hot sauce with a brand new crowdsourced question from Twitter. We're going to be talking engagement um, once again today. You all know, if you follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle, Engagement HR. It's what I'm really, really passionate about. And I think it's one of the things that makes the biggest difference of any organization. So I think there's a lot of conversations uh, that can come come from it. You know, today's a little bit different. Today, our guest is from Willis Towers Watson, and he works with their employee engagement software. If you follow me elsewhere, you hear me talk a lot about working with anybody, being friends with anybody that's trying to help improve employee experience, improve the workplace. And our guest today is... Some might say in a competing uh, environment. In my mind, he's a colleague standing shoulder to shoulder with me, help, helping make the workplace better. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm super excited for this conversation today. Our guest is Adam Zuckerman. He's the global product leader for Willis Towers Watson Employee Engagement Software. He is responsible for leading the product vision, strategy, development, and ongoing enhancement. Adam also teaches organizational attitudes and survey development at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Adam's thoughts on organizational culture and performance have been featured in several popular and industrial media, including most recently Bloomberg Television, Cranes, the Chicago Tribune, HR.com, and Human Resources Executive. I am super excited to welcome Adam to All About HR. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for that intro. You got a lot going on. You've done a lot of you've done a lot of things, and I'm interested in digging into as much of it as we can here today. Great. I do also want to intro how I came to find you. You know, I was talking with Laura before we were recording the show, and so how did you and Adam meet up? I said I follow employee engagement conversations on LinkedIn, and I saw Adam. You posted once. I was like, that's the smartest thing I've seen in a long time. And then a couple of weeks later, I saw you post something. I was like, that's the other most insightful thing in my space I've seen in a long time. Then you're in my feed and just constantly. So I'm really excited for this conversation today. I really appreciate you taking some time to, to join us on All About HR. Well, thanks First, for noticing my uh, humble contributions to uh, LinkedIn. I've been, I've been really having a lot of fun with it. I've only been active on it for about a year or maybe even a little less but it's been a lot of fun. So thanks very much. Officially a LinkedIn super fan. I, I've only seen one post, we could talk about it today, in fact, that I was like, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Like one ever. And I think it's a pretty good- Oh, uh, good. No, yeah, yeah I want to hear. Let's talk yeah, about it. Yeah, you and I can go back and forth on. Um, I have one question yeah. everybody answers to start the show and then we'll kind of roll from there. But what are you listening okay. to right now? Podcasts, audiobooks, music? Like, What are you listening to right now? Adam Levine. Um, that guy's I, great. I've been walking, I've been sort of a little bit embarrassed to admit, but I've been walking around my neighborhood during the day to get some exercise, which is one of the great things about working from home, working remotely, got drawbacks, but I really appreciated the opportunity to go outside and get some exercise, and even in the winter here in Chicago. So yeah, so I need music, Adam Levine, Maroon 5, that's, that's the primary thing I've been listening to. Adam Levine is incredibly talented, and yeah, I'm a fan, and I'm a huge right? fan of the Daily Walks. My CEO is like, why aren't you coming into the office as much? 
it literally is because I like my daily walks around my neighborhood or the run I go on midday. So I, I totally hear you there. So you've been in this space, you've been on LinkedIn just a year, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but you've been in this space a long time. People all met, my employer has been in this space a long time, and not a lot of people were in this space talking about how important employee engagement was. You know, what got you into this space initially? How did that happen? And, and then we can kind of get into kind of what we've seen in that evolution during the time. Yeah, great question, and I appreciate the opportunity to share it. I was in school and I sort of fell in love with psychology. Um, I, I remember reading some seminal studies, Pygmalion in the classroom. I don't know if you ever heard of that phenomenon, but the, these these classic studies where they, they went in and told public school teachers that certain kids had tested really well and were about to break out academically. And of course, these kids were just selected at random, um, but they gave it a veneer of, you know, science. And then they came back a year later and sure enough, those kids were like outperforming on standardized tests. It was total self-fulfilling prophecy on the part of the teachers. And I remember thinking like, that is so cool. Yeah, so interesting. I wanna, I wanna study that. And so that just sort of fell into psychology and really absorbed it and uh, went to NYU for my PhD and was originally in the area of social psychology, thinking maybe I would teach. Life takes over and you start to have all kinds of other concerns. You want to start a family and make more money. And so I joined a boutique consulting firm called ISR in Chicago in the 1990s, and they were doing employee surveys. And I figured this is a way to marry up uh, my interest in psychology with an actual practical workplace skill that would bring value. And I've basically been doing that work ever since. The company changed and grew and was bought and merged and so forth. But developing, selling, delivering tools to help companies better understand their employees and improve their employees' experience is what I've been doing for, you know, for 25 years. What is, over the 25 years, what's the single biggest difference of how surveys are deployed, not the technology, but like the makeup of the surveys now versus 25 years ago? Were they longer? Were they shorter? Was it totally different question sets? You know, what's, what's that change look like? Yeah, it's really been a fascinating evolution. A lot of it has been the technology. I mean, when I started, we weren't even doing surveys online. I remember when we just started to, and we were talking about employee satisfaction, um, not employee engagement even. Right. You know, this predates even Yelp. So, I mean, in general, but but a lot of the concepts and a lot of the, the fundamental perspective is very similar, which I think is actually a good thing. It makes sense, you know, because people are people. I mean, I don't... Yes. I think that a lot of those fundamental truths are the same, right? We have different labels and, and the science has gotten better and the technology has gotten way better, but the fundamental ideas are, are largely the same, which I think is a, is a good sign. They're, they're enduring and, and, and they make a lot of sense and they, and they provide value. One thing that has probably changed not so much for the better, but it, understandable, is there's definitely less sort of scientific rigor than there once was. You know, when I started, I think there was more time for, you know, developing instruments in the right way, uh, validating things in the right way. And part, that gets harder and harder to do because the pace of business is fast and people have less and less attention. And, and the tools have made things so much easier that, that a lot of the acceleration, I think some of the rigor has gotten de-emphasized, which is un unfortunate. That's one change that hasn't been great. But otherwise, it's sort of like the names have changed, but a lot of the core principles really are the same. Yeah, I agree. You know, that's one of the things I talk a lot about 
you know, with with our survey questions and survey sets is that they're validated, they're tested. And I didn't know what that meant. So I reached out to our product team. I think it's maybe our second podcast and really learned about it's not just asking interesting questions, but like validating them and any indexes and any methodologies to actually connecting it to engagement. You're right. I don't hear as many people talking about that anymore. Maybe I'm just not in the right uh, circles, having the right conversations, but it, it does seem to be more, look how we can do this rather no, than I, look what this thing I, is. I, oh, right. No, totally. I mean, I think that people are still focused on validation. They want valid you know, instruments, uh, absolutely. But I think that because this kind of work has become really popular, in some ways, it's kind of a victim of its own success. And a lot of the kind of marketing hype and sales hype and stuff is taken over a little bit. And so sometimes it's hard to, you know, make sure that you're still, you know, using, you know, valid instruments and helping clients understand the the, the purpose of that. But, you know, I think it's it's really for the better because, I mean, it's, it's all part of a good trend, which is that people are more interested in employee issues, I think, than they ever have been, not just because of the great resignation going on right now, but just in general, the trend is, you know, a greater appreciation for the role that the employee plays in business success. Um, you know, you no longer have to really make the case that it matters, right? It's sort of a given, right? Yes, we want our employees 100%. to have a good experience with being engaged uh, in order to, to, to produce better results. And that's a good thing. And so, you know, naturally with that is going to come a little bit more of the kind of exciting stuff. I have a colleague who likes to say that, you know, it's it's no no longer really a question of can we do it, it's well, what can we do, it's what should we do. And and because of what can we do is because the technology has become so good, you can now do anything. You can basically ask anybody anything at any time. And now yeah. now it's a more matter of saying, okay, well, given that, what what should we ask employees? What kinds of surveys should we be doing and why? In the early 2000s, it was like, look at all this data, look how cool we are. And, you know, you beat your chest when you could drop a, a novel of data on your clients. And then you talk to them two months later, they're like, we read 4% right. of that. And it took us, or no, we read 100% and we needed 4% <laughs> uh, to where now it's really about, let's distill it down to like, what's actionable, right. what's meaningful. And the technology is what enabled us to save time in delivering that and save time in the clients taking that signal to actual action as well, which is great. So you had mentioned- yeah, totally. I mean, and that's another big change that I think has been kind of good and bad, which is the technology has improved tremendously. Um, but I do think it's kind of taken over a little bit and people are more focused on technology today for, for better and worse. I mean, it's it makes things a lot easier, um, but I do think fundamentally the, 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 the value of this work is not really the technology, it's the ideas. Um, yeah. And so that's that's an important thing to also keep in, in mind. Yeah, and that's something I want to talk about uh, a little bit later on as we get through, you know, the podcast here. But there's, that, that reminds me of something I definitely want to touch on. Also, a lot of the conversations I have now, my approach and people elements approach is we're not trying to sell you like our platform. Like, I'm not just trying to sell you an IT solution. That's simply a tool to enable you to hopefully get to your goals quicker and more accurately. And it's a tool that we built for that. And the number of people that I talk to that go, oh, thank God for not starting the sales conversation with, my tool's going to solve your problems. Oh, we have the best solution for you. And they're like, you don't know us. You don't know what we need. And that's, in my mind, how it has to work. Technology needs to enable results, enable outcomes, enable, and fit for what the use case is. Every organization is different. It's not just cool technology solves it all, which which I think is 
is getting a little bit lost now in this super competitive, everybody's got kind of cool technology environment. Yeah, totally. That That is completely, it's sort of a technology arms race. And um, I mean, and I think actually, I don't know about you, but I've noticed it, it kind of calmed down a little bit for a while there a few years ago. First, there was like, you know, the annual survey is dead. By the way, yeah. the annual survey is not dead, at least in my experience. It's still very, very common. What's pretty much dead is sole reliance on the annual survey, right? So oh, most great. companies do something in addition to an annual, they supplement, right? They supplement the annual survey with pulses and other, you know, life cycle things, other kinds of surveying, other kinds of virtual focus groups. So they don't only rely on the annual survey, which means that the annual survey can be a lot more streamlined, but it hasn't gone away. It's still around. But a few years ago, people were like, the annual survey is dead and we're going to start serving people monthly. No, we're going to start serving weekly. We're going to start serving daily, right? I mean, yep. it was like kind of crazy. And I feel like that is for the better because, I mean, the reality is people realize, number one, too, we can't act on all that information. Like we have too much information coming in too frequently. We can't possibly digest it all and do anything with it, even if it's really wisely condensed. Still, you know, we, we, we can't be responding that quickly. And employees' opinions and experiences don't change that quickly. So to be asking them how, you know, uh, about their engagement levels in the morning and in the afternoon, uh, and then the next morning, and that, it just doesn't make sense. So I feel like that has calmed down a little bit. Even though the technology enables it, I think, I think the field has gotten smarter about what really is providing value. And we've settled into a cascade that I think is is healthier and makes more sense. Yeah, I uh, I agree one thousand percent that you should only ask the questions at a cadence that you're able to respond and take action on in a meaningful way. And if people are responding daily, they're going to start going these things I'm telling you about. I'm not seeing answers on. And secondly, they're going to go. I'm really tired of responding daily. Right. Um, it doesn't mean, and that's the other thing too, is right. where technology doesn't solve it. Like I tell people like, well, we want to know what these people are doing every day. I was like, cool. You should still be managers and talking to your people. Like when I run teams, I talk to my people every day, even if it's for two minutes, just how's your day going? What's going on? Do you need right. anything? Um, and other things come up. So to where I think that like, if you're looking to survey every day, like there should still be managers. There still should be humans and ways to do that. Not to say, as, as you eloquently did earlier, technology can't, it, it's not that technology can't play a role in that, but don't use technology to try to replace some of those things. That's where I think organizations really go wrong is, is leaning into that technology. And I agree, the annual engagement survey is not dead. And I honestly have never heard it put so eloquently. It is a piece. It's just not the only piece to, to, to rely on. So I think that's great. It's funny you mentioned that the, the kind of talk to your employees piece, th that comes up, uh, has come up a lot in the context too of organizations. You probably, given how long you've been in the field, have had this happen too, where you have clients who say, we want to produce reports and we have a minimum group size and we're going to keep lowering that minimum group size because we want to look at, you know, more, more and more granular, more and more detail, lower down, lower down, lower down. And you go to 10 and you go to five and you go to three and you'll be like, look, I a three is not going to be that great. And people go, well, how, how, what am I going to give these managers? They've got three people. These managers are important. How do they know what their employees are dealing with? It's like, you know, ask them, right? <laughs> like talk to them, right? I mean, if you're relying on a survey process to understand what your three direct reports think, you know, there's bigger challenges. 
That was the one item that I wanted to talk to you about that I saw you put a post that I said I disagreed with. So this is perfect. You you came all the way right around to it. Not that I disagree. I was just more curious. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, Because I read through the comments on that particular post and I'll find a link. I'll put everything you've mentioned. What's it? The Pygmalion? Anyways, we'll talk after. I'm going to put a link to Pygmalion. Pygmalion. I'm going to put a link to something about that in the show notes. I want to put a link link to this post because there's really good comments back and forth. But you know, at people element, you know, our platform, you can at each survey, you can set a threshold of what you want it to be. So if you want to have a exit, that's just one-to-one Adam responded. We know what Adam's answers are. You can do that. If you want to set your threshold at three, um, so you can't cut below three or five. I've always been of the three to five to where it's, you can get as granular as you can get as many much data while still trying to hold that confidentiality. And I think there's, you know, that's a hugely debated area, but your post said, you shouldn't go below 10. I've already heard you give me some really compelling reasons, but can you talk a little bit more about you know, where, you're, where you come from with that? Because that really interests me. Look, we focus on 10 because we, we, we have, um, our metric is percent favorable, okay. uh, not, not an average. So in a 360, uh, where you might be doing reporting an average or where you're going to have fewer respondents in general, for, for, you know, giving individuals feedback, I think three or five can make perfect sense. We're more comfortable with 10 for a lot of reasons. One of them is just the numbers, right? Because if you're dealing with percent favorable, if you only have five people, your percent favorable can only be 0, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. That those are the only possible options, right? So just the math doesn't really work out that way, mm-hmm. right? And one person can have such a big influence on the scores that I think it, it does start to undermine the credibility of the overall metric a little bit. Um, but I think, it, look, it depends on the context, depends on the survey, depends on how you're using the information. In general, though, we are more comfortable with 10. Our software allows flexibility as well. Oh, I don't think yeah. we can even go below five unless it's like you get an act from Congress or something. But, but basically, <laughs> but basically, we're a little bit, we're a little bit, we're a little, we air a little bit higher. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there a connection to a confidentiality that you speak to with that as well? Because I know that's one of the topics that it comes up. And yeah. For sure. For sure. I mean, we, you know, we, we used to see, and I don't, you know, I don't know if this is true anymore. Probably isn't because people are so natively online today. And I think they're so much more comfortable with, with being online and they don't worry as much as people used to, I think about being identified in some ways, but we used to see if you'd lower the cutoff, you'd either get a lower return rate or you'd get better results, which, you know, would tend to suggest that people are a little bit more careful. I don't know if that's true anymore. It's certainly not enough of a trend to be too concerned about. But yeah, I mean, most of our clients are at 10 and that's where I'm comfortable. But you know, science, you do have to go, you have to go lower. I mean, it depends on the circumstance. I do think, I usually do though, once they start pushing to eight or five, I start to say, you know, at some point you can go talk. And and I think I, I think that an important uh, fact to remember is like, I, the kind of surveying we do is not 360 surveying and 360s are valuable, but it's a different kind of thing. Yeah. And so um, when, when, I, when I see, clients wanting to go down to five or three, I think they're trying to use this, the, the instrument as something that it's not, or they're trying to do two surveys in one, and, you know, an engagement kind of culture, organizational survey, and a 360 individual manager feedback survey. And I think that it, it, those don't go together in a single instrument. So that's another reason why I push back against, you know, really low cutoffs. You know, and one of the things we do is we often end up setting global thresholds that yeah, they can go up, but they can never go down just to save organizations you know, from themselves. That's really powerful if 
organization has an ability to send out a survey, say it's confidential, and then manage their own thresholds. So I think as organizations are figuring out and talking through this, how are you going to manage it on your end internally to to really hold the integrity of what you're doing, keep the confidence with your team. And, you know, it's our product. So we try to make sure we manage that, you know, and get to those answers before we get to there. Because we don't want people like, hey, this people have been surveyed. Everyone feels it's not confidential. It's like, well, it's yeah. it's it's a tool. It's how you use the tool. So for organizations out there that are engaging and collecting employee feedback and trying to figure out the thresholds, I think another big piece is who has access to those thresholds and, and who sets it and making sure that your technology allows you to yeah. have that under control. Because like I said, over our 30 years, we've saved a lot of organizations from themselves. We're talking to a great person. They're like, you know, my CEO is really pushing for this. We're like, nope. All right. We can't go below 10. Right. Because right. We, we, we don't want to endorse that. We're, we're here trying to help the workforce not collect information um, outside of what that conversation should be. Totally. And there's also, and I wonder how you guys deal with this or if you see it a lot, but you know, another thing that's changed over the time that we've been in the field is you have a lot more clients now who want the raw data to do their own analyses um, because they have more sophisticated skills in-house and they have other tools that they want to bring the data into. And so that's always a, an important matter too, is how, you know, do you enable that? And then how do you enable it? And how do you explain to employees, you know, back in the day, we could use really strong language on the survey that said, no one in your company will ever see any survey that you would have done because it's going to come right to this third party, right? Yep. And now that's sometimes true, but a lot of clients say, no, actually, we want, we want, we want you to manage this for us and to run all the reports, but we also have a small group that's going to do some advanced analytics and they're going to want the raw data. So you got to, you got to explain to employees that's going to happen. You got to, you know, use the right language that kind of says that fairly and accurately and doesn't scare them, but is, you know, a fair representation of how the data is being used. So that those issues and privacy in general, data privacy in general has become a lot more complicated over the years. Yeah, I agree. I think communication planning um, is essential. I think expectation setting is essential. Is essential. You know, it's, it's the same thing as, you know, your kids going to learn to drive a car, you're giving them the keys, they have a car, they have this tool, it's meant to get them around, but they can drive it into a tree. They can go formula and do all kinds of crazy things and cause un, un, unimaginable damage with right. this automobile, which is not what its intended purpose is. And it's the same type of thing. You know, my, our philosophy, we do allow raw data export, but it's not just like, here you go. You know, there's a lot of conversation that goes into right. what are your goals? What do you want? Like right. we do, we see it's not our job to tell a company what they should or shouldn't do. It is our job to make sure that our tool works in a way that supports what its intended purpose is, mm -hmm. and then make sure we're talking through and educating, coaching, training, um, yeah. and creating a system to make sure it's used properly. But yeah, yeah that's totally. it, that's one of the toughest conversations in 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 this space for sure. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the toughest version of it is, thankfully, this happens very rarely, but it does happen. You know, we have language that we recommend goes on the survey, depending on how you're going to use the data, obviously. But what happens is with one of these projects, there's a lot of stakeholders and moving parts and mm -hmm. goals change, you know, so they, they decide how they want to manage it. You know, you put certain language on the survey, you collect the data, and then they change their mind, right? Then they want to, then they want to do something else. Yes. Like, well, it's sort of too late now. I mean, if you, yep. you know, if you want to do the right thing, you know, this is what you told employees, this was the agreement that you made. It's, and that's a good thing because sometimes that can sort of, that's the ultimate 
you know, winning argument, right? It's like, look, this is what we told employees, but that can be a tough conversation too. Yeah, I agree. And it's it, it, when you're building out your hierarchies of security, the raw data is at the highest level and is not universally used. And once it's set, once it's set, it's set. It can't be changed. So I agree. I, honestly, I didn't think we get into talking about uh, this <laughs> level of nerdiness in our space. But I do think it's an important conversation to anybody in HR. And I think it's one of the, like those cornerstones of HR is you've got people's employee files. You have people's information. How do you protect that? And I don't think that level of thinking goes all the way through to we're going to do a survey. So I think this is actually really, really on point to, uh, to the greater conversation. Yeah, totally. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump back. I want to talk pseudoscience and then I want to talk about something we've been talking about, which is how do we connect this technology to the outcomes for organizations and some best tips we can give to help organizations get the best out of that. All right, we'll be right back. All right, it is time for the HR hot sauce questions. Adam, are you ready? I am. Well, let's go. What is the best job you've ever had? Camp counselor. Loved it. Outside all the time. Played with the kids. Honestly, that's been my dream job for a long, long time. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? Any any jargon, strategize, leverage, even, even touch base, reach out. I like normal human speak as much as possible. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days? Probably sunny. I mean, I maybe should say I'd rather be outside, but I love sunshine. I, I love sunshine. Even if it's freezing cold, I agree with my wife all the time. I'll take freezing cold as long as there's sunshine. So I'd rather open up the windows and just feel, feel the sun. Or how can somebody make your day at work? If they can make all the technology work, that would be fantastic. I've had such a frustrating day with my internet going down multiple times at critical points. So if, if, if things are going well from a technology perspective, when I get help in that regard, it's a beautiful thing. Favorite interview question to ask or be asked? Well, you know, I love finding out about people's passions. I mean, outside of work, just in life. I, I we, My wife and I have been watching the show Cheer on Netflix, mm -hmm. and I have no interest in Cheer. But these kids are so passionate that I'm riveted. And I love hearing about people's passions, whatever it is. So that's what I love to talk about, and that's what I love to hear about. Medium, mild, hot, or nuclear? Very, very mild. And my first ever Twitter crowdsourced question that is you're the first one we're asking this to on HR Hot Sauce. Favorite song to bring you out of a funk? Oh, man. Uh, some kind of ACDC, probably. You know, classic, but it yeah, always good. does it for me. Black, back in black or? Right. You've made it through the HR Hot Sauce. Let's get back to the show. Woo! And we are back. That was a great HR hot sauce with some brand new questions. So picking up where we left off, I heard you mention it earlier, and it's something I talked about, I think in episode two a little bit with Allie, who's on the product team of people on it, but pseudoscience in psychology. Like, how do you get around that? I'm still trying to wrap my head around how much is science, how much is mathematically applying science? Like, what, what's your thoughts on pseudoscience? Yeah, I mean, I'm against, I'm against it. Uh, no, it's very, it's Good. really. <laughs> Good start. It's really, it's really, it's hard. It's really hard because the truth is, is that, you know, I started as sort of an academic 
in my doctoral program. And that was my mindset coming out of that program. And I became a lot better consultant when I encountered marketing people who helped me focus my message and focus on what's most important and, and shorten it, you know, not, not get into some of the you know details that a lot of people aren't, aren't interested in uh, and appreciate where the real value is. So I think those things are really good, but you can obviously take it too far. And it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's a little bit of a fine line and in some ways it's shifted. Um, but it's important that I think we protect it because, you know, the, the, the work we do has to be valid. You know, it, it can't just be total fluff. It's not going to, it's not going to bring any value certainly over the long term if it is. But at the same time, I mean, there was, I don't know if you saw this, there's a big dust up on LinkedIn not too long ago about someone who they were, they were um, talking about a poll you know, polls on LinkedIn are real popular, right? Yep. And and someone did a poll about maybe retention or remote work or something. And they were making a big deal out of the different responses that people gave. Um, oh, it was about psychological safety. And they were saying, what does yeah. psychological safety mean to you? And, you know, there are a couple of different things. And so there was someone, you know, commenting on the results and how interesting they were and whether people really understood psychological safety or not. And then someone else was saying, well, this is not a scientific poll. This is garbage. You can't interpret this. This is just some random people on LinkedIn who happen to respond that day. And, you know, it's like, well, I think as long as you take it for what it is, right? I mean, yeah, it's what people on LinkedIn that day thought. Okay. So we're not sort of claiming this sort of, you know, enduring validity or building some sort of a, you know, model that we're holding up to, to explain, you know, everything about the workplace or something. We're just gauging where people's opinions are right now. And as a data point, you know, it, it, it sparks useful conversation, right? So I think there's some value in it, right? So is that pseudoscience? You know, it's, it's largely, it's depends yeah. on, on how it's represented, right? And how it's used. So I think context is a big part of it. Just, just in appreciating, well, what are we really using this for? What are we trying to make out of it? If we're really going to rely on it, if we're really going to put funding behind it, if we're really going to make personnel decisions, it better be validated, obviously. But if we just want to bring a new perspective, change the way people are thinking, expand people's you know mindsets, does it have to be in a peer-reviewed journal? No, you know. So that's kind of my take on it. So, do you have a take more specific to the conversation we were having that what makes an actionable data set for employee feedback? Do you believe there's a model or a specific threshold, or is it different for every organization? Or what are your thoughts on kind of connecting those two pieces? Well, so this might be a little bit of a side to what you mean, but you know, I thought this for a while and I did have a post on this. It wasn't one of my better performing ones, but to me, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of different models and frameworks and, you know, ways people are defining engagement and culture and all stuff. And a lot of people think, okay, well, that, that must mean that the whole field is sort of garbage because there's just too many, too many ways of doing it. Right. Everyone's got their own take and Heard that. Yep. But, right. But I don't know. I'm like, to me, to, to, to me, that's perfectly fine. And in fact, I think pretty much all the, all the models and frameworks out there are true to some extent, right? I mean, they're all, they're all good, right? I mean, it's yeah. like they all have value, right? They're, they're explaining different parts of the process and maybe they're explaining it, some are explaining it better, some are explaining it less well. But, you know, the reality is, is the, the kind of data that is most useful in guiding action and provoking change is the data that guides action and provokes change in general, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, so... To me, I think it's generally, there's a lot of different ways of carving up the employee experience and thinking about it and measuring it. And if you if you follow anyone, it'll provide value because you're following it. You know what I mean? Like if you yes. work it, it'll work almost 
it doesn't really matter so much. Okay, this guy's 12 questions, there's 20 questions over here. This is this framework emphasizes this, this framework emphasizes that. If you focus on it and you work it, chances are it's gonna work. You know, it's like diets, right? Like so many different diets out there, so many yep. different experts in weight loss, and like they all have testimonials. How could that be? It's because they all work. Because basically, like if your discipline is sort of about anything and you do it in a disciplined way, you're gonna probably have some benefit. You, yes. you, you know what I mean? So, so I yeah. I don't know. I, I, mean, I kind of think like it's, you know, the, the process is more important. I mean, yeah, you want to pick a model and a framework that works for your company and your culture and it resonates with you, but it doesn't really matter so much if it's like this company's model or that company's framework or if it's called this or if it's called that. I mean, a lot of the basic principles are really the same, you know, listen to yep. people, treat them well, treat them fairly, you know. I mean, it's not rocket science. Communicate clearly, clarify expectations, you know, reward people when they do well. Like, you so know, the science I mean, is in the model. The science should validate the model, but get a model that works for you. Yes. Work that model, follow it, and then you can see your variations up and down, off, and where the movement is from there. And that's where it's up to you to, you're going to get some gains, but where is it? And, it? and how do you invest in the culture and those things you just named off? So, correct. Yeah, and, and that makes I a lot think, of sense. Correct. And I think because it's social science, it's not the physical sciences. I think the, the, the world is so rich and complicated that, you know, you can have scientific evidence in favor of a lot of different things. I can have scientific evidence, you know, showing you that if you if you reward people, you know, genuinely and praise them genuinely, they'll be less likely to leave. That's true. It's also true that if people have colleagues that they really like at work, they'll probably be less likely to leave. It's also true that if you're doing interesting work, you know what I mean? So like those can all be true. And so yes. if one or another of them is what you're more naturally focused on or a model that resonates with you emphasizes some of those, great. They're going to have, you know, a lot of things can have a positive impact, right? There isn't just one way. I love it. Let's take this full circle back to, so we talked about all these things. In the end, we're both in the business of trying to help people make outcomes. So what is some of the advice from your experience that can help organizations, buyers of HR technology, get the most out of that technology? It's not going to go in and solve it. We've talked about that. But what are the best practices to help drive outcomes with this technology, with employee feedback? Yeah, it's such a great, it's like the, it, one thing that hasn't changed is that is the fundamental question, and it always has been. It's it's the it's the most difficult part of the process. It's the it's the part of the process that every company struggles with, and it's the part of of this work that no technology has really helped. I used to have a colleague who would say, "You can't automate your way to engagement," and I think that is totally true, right? It's fundamentally not about the That's technology. Great. And um, yeah, I mean that there's there's basic things that I've learned that help, but it's still there's so much that's where the opportunity in the field is not for better ways to collect data or report data or analyze data or visualize data. Yeah, there are incremental gains in that. Sure. But the real opportunity is helping people take at meaningful action and drive change from those insights. So, you know, I tell clients a handful of things. I'm sure you do too. I mean, one is less is more. So focusing on one, two, three things at the most in my experience uh, will lead to a lot more success than trying to, address a whole laundry list of things and doing none of them well. Um, I mean, the biggest success stories that I po point to are always clients who like basically did one thing, you know, but just did it big, made a huge change that showed they were listening. And that's all that came out of it. But it was huge. You know, to me, that's way preferable than trying to fix a whole bunch of things and and, not, and 
and in all likelihood not being able to do that many of them you know well so 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 less is more and focus is, is a big principle as far as culturally you bought your software you bought my software what do you do to get the most out of get the most out of the actual software and i guess to kind of further frame the question that how do you get that implemented there's so many people i talk to they're like oh yeah we have this thing i don't know how to use it or and one person in the organization knows i guess i'm leading now but so start to answer my ass you got to get more people involved. You got to make sure the technology actually is a part of your organization. So I'll answer that part, but what are some of your tips? Well, on I know I totally agree. How to get totally that done. Agree. Yeah, I totally agree. That's great. And I think also you can, you got to design it in a way that doesn't, I mean, you can very quickly outpace the kind of level of not just sort of sophistication, but the level of investment that people can make in learning it. You yes. know what I mean? So like, that's why, that's why I think, you know, the way we design software today the appreciation for the sort of user experience is so valuable and so important because it's like if this thing takes six hours to learn i mean nobody's going to use it right i mean yeah it'll be able to do some things that it can't otherwise do it'll be more powerful and flexible but if nobody uses it then it's got no power and flexibility so i've got to make it you know i've got to I've, i have a responsibility if i'm designing it and delivering it to to provide you with with a product that's usable you know so i mean most people you know, they're just, they're not going to be able to, you know, if you've ever seen someone attempt to drive a supercar, who's not really comfortable with that, like, yes, you know, it's like, not only is it dangerous, but it's not a good experience. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need a Ferrari to go to the grocery store. Yes, it is objectively a better car than a Honda Civic. You know, you can put, you know, you could like stack up all these awesome statistics. It is amazing. But if I got to go to the grocery store, it is a worse fit. And that power is going to be at best not used but at worst it's probably going to interfere with what i'm trying to do right because i'm going to okay. hit people on the way there and i'm not going to be able to park it and it's going to get scratched up and it's going to stall out i mean it's like makes no sense so yeah is that a better car to go to the grocery store no and then where do you put your groceries exactly exactly <laughs> exactly, exactly so way better to have a honda Civic. plenty powerful pl you know plenty flexible you know makes more sense and i'm going to use it every time i go to the grocery store if I've got a Ferrari to go, I'm probably going to call uh, call a delivery service. I see a lot of folks buying the Ferraris that would do so much better with the Honda Civics. And right. I, I personally, not even for my own company, like if there's a competitive situation, I know who it was. Sometimes I'll be like, even if it's not us, like what about that one? I, I have no stake to that. I just know from talking to them and learning that what's going to get them there. But at the end of the day, it's their decision. I respect it, but I, I agree. Find the solution that gets you to what you need to get to the right, right way, not just the most expensive, fancy, most technologically advanced. All right. I think this is this has been awesome. Uh, we actually covered a lot of ground I didn't expect to. I'd love to keep, well, I will keep the conversation going with you on LinkedIn. Uh, I'll put a link in our show notes. Hopefully we'll have you back down the road here as well. But it, honestly, I've been a huge fan of your approach for your knowledge and I just, I'm really grateful you took some time to, to talk to us about this today. This, is, this has been awesome. Thanks, Adam. All right. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciated talking to you. It was a lot of fun and I hope we can do it again. That sounds great. All right. Well, this has been another episode learning all about HR. I want to thank our sponsor, People Element. I want to thank Laura, our producer. And again, I want to thank Adam for joining us. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you back on Spotify or Podbean here again soon. Take care. I'm
understand, engage, inspire, and retain your people like never before, People Element's employee experience and engagement solution delivers powerful intelligence, giving you the confidence to act. To learn how you can gain a better understanding of your employees, please visit us at peopleelement.com.